It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Joining me on the show today is Keith Rosen. He's CEO, executive sales coach, transformational expert advisor of top sales leaders, and more importantly, author, I think, author of number one sales coaching book, Coaching Salespeople into Sales Champions, a tactical playbook for managers and executives, and has written some other books, including his latest book, Own Your Day, How Sales Leaders Master Time Management, Minimize Distractions, and Create Their Ideal Lives, which... Wow, sounds like a great thing. Keith, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you very much for having me here today, Andy. So have you created your ideal life? Well, I would hope to think that I have. And let me take that word hope out and say yes, that I have. (laughs) Of course, uh, the phrase ideal life is probably subjective. So whenever you're ready, we'll probably have to unpack that a little more. (laughs) I was going to say, should I ask your wife? (laughs) You may get two answers. I don't know. (laughs) Depending on when we ask, right? So Keith, take a minute, introduce yourself. Uh, How did you get your start in sales, for instance? Sure. So I've been, uh, I've been, Working with sales leaders, sales managers, uh, salespeople probably for the last 30 years, uh, tens of thousands of them uh, around the globe, five continents, over 60 countries, uh, working on predominantly sales, cold calling, prospecting, time management, um, working with managers, managers on helping them develop into elite transformational coaches. and have been doing that for the last 30 years. So have had the pleasure of traveling the world and making an impact on so many companies and so many people one at a time. Hmm. So you started your company 30 years ago. Yeah, been wow. doing this for that long. Gray hair starting to show and everything. Well, I was gonna say, so, I mean, you were, must've been a very young man when you started the company. What? Pretty much a couple of years out of college, yeah. Yeah, even so, so what convinced you when you were still pretty much wet behind the ears yourself sales-wise that you could teach people about sales? I started working right out of college. Actually, during college, actually, I got a job canvassing door to door. I think that's when it was actually fairly safe and still legal to be able to do that uh, and go door to door and was literally canvassing, knocking on doors, booking appointments. And I was working for this one company. And then after uh, that, my second year in college, I started actually doing the sales for them. And So what, uh, what uh, product were you selling? That type of, that industry was going back years ago was, was mortgages. We were doing mortgages. We were doing uh, residential uh, and constru- um, uh, commercial remodeling. Hmm. Uh, home security systems, things like that. So I, I, I got a very strong education in, uh, um, in that environment uh, pretty, pretty young uh, in my career. Yeah, I was going to say, if you felt confident enough to start your business after a couple of years. I mean, after, I oh, really? thinking back to myself, after two years out of school, granted I've been in sales two years, but <laughs> I wouldn't have thought I could go teach anybody anything at that point. I think what happened after having worked with these companies and then starting another company and realizing that, you know, there has to be a different way to sell, Uh, you know, the old sales has not technically changed in, I don't know, over a hundred years. 
uh, even the books that you read today, they're just repackaged strategies of what sure. we've heard from years and years ago. And you're talking to um, a huge advocate of Zig Ziglar, who's uh, not only a mentor, but I um, I feel blessed to say he was a personal friend as well, having spent one-on-one quality time with him. And even the books that he's written, I think he's one of the godfathers of sales. Uh, you know, him and Tom Hopkins and Ogmandino, they're, they're still, the new book still profess the same ideology and methodologies that they created, you know, dozens and dozens of years ago. And the thing that I have focused on, which you heard it from me first, and it's not only just about making managers great coaches, but the evolution of sales is making salespeople great coaches. And that's what you're going to start hearing more and more about as as people steal my idea. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I'm writing it down as you talk. (laughs) <laughs> that is the greatest salespeople, you know, you can talk consultative selling, but the next evolution of that is really becoming um, what I call the seller coach, which is how can you take the coaching technology and apply it to a sales process? And when I'm working with salespeople or sales managers, when I'm delivering a program, the the methodology and the content is very, very similar. The, granted, the conversations change, um, the strategy may change, but the overall communication method is is virtually identical. Well, and it sounds like when you talk about turning sellers into great coaches, it's to some degree, it sounds pretty parallel to the whole sort of trusted advisor type approach. It does. And if you think about what an advisor does, is advisor isn't just going to sit there and tell you what to do. An advisor is going to first understand truly where you're coming from, what your goals are, where your current level of thinking is, what assumptions you're making, where you want to be, what's getting in the way of you getting there. They're going to spend the time to ask all of these questions, which is what a really good coach does. And if you're in a sales role, you need to do the same thing. It, it amazes me. Every time I work with an organization, it doesn't matter if it's one of the largest organizations out there or a small organization, and I go through the company sales process, it blows my mind how when I get to the initial qualification stage, how many questions are actually missing that the salespeople need to be asking, but they're not, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what's getting in the way of the sale. (laughs) So several questions that, that follow from that is, you know, back to what you're talking about before is, gosh, there's nothing new under the sun with sales. So I, I guess one question is, can there be anything new? I mean, given that we're talking about, you know, as you talk about sort of a series of set questions that we think everybody should be asking. Mm-hmm. I mean, are there really new questions that should be asked or it's just a matter of getting people to be consistent and disciplined and make a routine of asking the questions we know are effective. Yeah, I think it's really it's it's really three legs of a stool there in what you just shared. I think first off, it's it's to your last point, Andy, reinforcing the best practices. What are the questions that inevitably every great salesperson needs to ask every prospect in order to qualify or disqualify them? Then it's well, what questions aren't we asking that we need to ask? Every time I work with a client, there are always questions I find they're not asking, which are critical to their sales process. But I think the third part is less tactical and more how you think. So to me, Mm -hmm. when I work 
with with managers or salespeople, I take a very holistic approach to professional development and evolution. It's you need to change what you're doing, but you also need to change how you think. So if I'm only focusing on what you need to do and I'm not focusing on how you need to think or who you need to be, then I'm actually only developing half the champion that that person can be. If I take a holistic approach and help that person evolve their thinking, the byproduct of that is it changes behavior. So, you know, that that saying beliefs precede experience is so true. You change your thinking. The byproduct is a, is a change in behavior. So, for example, if I'm coaching a salesperson or even a manager on the concept of being curious. Now, if you notice, hey, listen, you need to be really curious. As a matter of fact, you need to be insatiably curious when you're speaking to your direct reports or your peers or a customer or a prospect. Mm-hmm. And if they come from a place of, oh, gee, if I'm being insatiably curious, well, what am I going to do more of? Oh, I'm going to ask more questions. Exactly. So you, you change your belief. The, out, the output of that is, is a, it's a change in the behavior. Now, if we take that to another level, you mentioned before about what's new. Is there a new, new process or a way of doing or even a way of thinking? Well, when I'm working with managers – especially managers that have a lot of experience in sales is as I'm working with them on the skills of becoming a great coach, inevitably a manager would jump in and say, Keith, you know, a lot of these practices apply to sales. I would say exactly. They really do. And there's that one part that managers get stuck on. When I say as a manager, when you're coaching someone, you need to be fully detached from the outcome. In other words, you can't go into a conversation with your own agenda when you're coaching someone, because if you're if you're doing that, then you're just pushing your own agenda and you're not coaching them because coaching is all about the art of creating possibilities, not -hmm. the the science of driving your own agenda. Right. And I take that to sales now and it, it kind of freaks salespeople out a little bit when I tell them, hey, guys, listen, when you're out there and you're selling or prospecting, the goal is not to sell. And they say, Keith, get out, leave now because you don't know what you're talking about. And I would say, wait, wait, let me finish my thought. The goal is not to sell because that's not your initial goal. You see, the byproduct of you being a coach is the sale. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if a salesperson is focused on that on that prospect or customer and they're truly focused on wanting to deliver value and they're focused on seeking to understand that other person's point of view. And because of those things, they're asking more and they're asking better questions. The byproduct of that is that they're demonstrating value. The byproduct of that is that they're modeling the type of person the client or the prospect wants to do business with. And the byproduct of that is the sale don't have to push for it. And a lot of times before, I remember years back, managers would say, okay, Keith, so when I'm coaching, it's about asking open-ended questions and having the person (laughs) self-assess so they can self-actualize and come up with their own answers, which is true. And then they would say, but when you're selling, you just, it's okay to ask the leading questions to get to the sale, right? Well, not anymore. Not anymore. You know, that whole concept of closing people it's sort of an archaic concept in sales these days. Well, if you I, really, I'd argue that always someone, has been. Let's say it again. I'd argue that it always was. 
Yeah. If, if you have to close someone, you're not doing your job. Right. Well, also, I mean, in, in the business of business space, and I make this point a lot, is that if you are selling anything with any sort of complexity to it, you're never present when the decision is made. That's right. And what, what is, what's this, the stats now? What is it, like 4.3 people in every decision? Oh, no, is no, no. It was, it was 5.4, I think, on the Challenger customer. But then talking, had Brent Adamson, who wrote that on the, or co-authored that book on the show a couple months ago. And he, I think it's up to 6.8 or 7.2. Is it really? Yeah. 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 So you're talking about now seven people are involved in making a business decision of some scale. There's no longer that one person making a decision, which changes the, the thinking of, okay, well, here's our sales process. Well, wait a second. As a business, you can't just look at your sales process. You have to make sure you're aligning your sales process with the buyer's buying process. Oh, absolutely. And that's changed substantially, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> so I wanted to dive into the coaching thing a little bit from the management standpoint. Is, is Again, as I said, you were very sort of prescient and you wrote this book nine years ago. And over the last year, you know, the book about coaching salespeople and the sales champions. And over the last year, this whole issue of coaching versus managing, I mean, there are multiple books published about, you know, becoming a better sales coach, becoming a better sales manager. So why do you think we got all this attention paid to it sort of in the last year? And they're really sort of talking about some of the things, you know, you had talked about, you know, eight, nine years ago, not, of course, you're, you know, smart, foresightful and so on. But, but why do you think it suddenly seemed to be more critical? I equate that to when the mobile phone came out. Everyone looked at the mobile phone and said, why would I need a mobile phone? Why would I need a phone? Now, keep in mind, back in the day, right? Why would I need a phone installed in my car? Why can't I just use a pay phone? Why would I ever need that? <laughs> and that, that's what people said years ago. Sure, sure. They said that about a pager. If anyone listening to this can even remember what a pager is, a device that just sends the, the alphanumeric number that you then have to go find a phone and, and call that person back. Why would I ever need that? And now the mobile phone is a, is part of our, you know, daily decor. It's part of when we get dressed, we get dressed, we grab our phone and go. I mean, just look at the younger generation. Sure. So I, I think this, this, a lot of this has to be, a, it's a generational, a generational gap as well, you know, is, is that, you know, you look now of what's needed, any new technology may be, you know, you know, challenged a little bit because, you know, one thing is, you know, people are resistant to change. So, uh, when coaching, when I first wrote the book, coaching came out, even when I, 30 years ago, when I told people I was a coach, they would say, you're a what? For what team? I'd say, no, 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 <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an executive coach. I'm a business coach. I'm, I'm a sales coach. And they would say, wait, you are you coach people on sales and business and leadership? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life. And this is what I heard 30 years ago. Now, of course, today I'm laughing, but I think that that same experience happened when I wrote my book on coaching salespeople to sales champions, which is an outgrowth of what I saw as a main gap out there in, in, in the, in the marketplace where I did a lot of sales training. I, as a consummate salesperson myself, I would always want to follow up to see the impact that the sales training had with my client. Mm -hmm. I'd follow up a month later I'd ask the client, so how are things going? And inevitably, I'd hear the same thing. Well, Keith, you know how it is. Some people took what you shared with them and they ran with it. Some people took part of what you shared and used it. But the majority of people just look back into their old ways. 
And this really bothered me, Andy. And the more I worked with managers and the more I worked with salesperson people, the more I realized the gap was the sales was the sales manager. You know, sales training doesn't develop sales champions. Managers do. Mm-hmm. And that was really the impetus for me to write my book, uh, you know, back in 2008. Uh, and again, when I wrote that book, people were reading it and saying, what's this book on coaching? Why should a manager become a coach? And now all of a sudden today, it's, well, of course, every manager, you know, needs to be a coach, which, you know, is true. But I saw this vision, you know, I, more, you know, farther, much, much, much before I even wrote the book as, as it was percolating in my head and finally being able to take my thoughts and put it on paper in a way where not only managers could read it and say, I, I appreciate the theory, but, oh, Keith also took it to another level and he actually is showing us how to implement this stuff. He's giving us a framework. He's talking about the mindset we need to adopt. He's talking about the skill sets we need to adopt, how to coach, what the framework is, what are the questions you need to ask, what type of coaching cadence you need to put into place. So, you know, getting back to your initial question, why now, why is it so hot? It's because Companies are looking around, realizing something has to change. Now, I would always say, you know, in good to- in good times, no one has to do anything differently. In good times, even the worst salesperson can be an order taker. And then, what happens during the more challenging times? What happens when more competition is entering the marketplace? Well, all of a sudden, you're not just an order taker. All of a sudden, you have to prove your value. All of a sudden, your name isn't enough to command an appointment or a meeting. Now, all these salespeople that were posting these amazing numbers and all these sales managers that were posting their numbers and saying how incredible they were doing and the growth they were having with their team, all of a sudden that starts to stagnate. It starts to become diluted. The progress they had made during good times is is no longer there. Now, all of a sudden, they're looking around saying, oh, my gosh, what 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 do we need to do? The marketplace is changing. Oh, people aren't spending as much. Oh, it's 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 a more of a competitive marketplace. Uh, oh, it's the economy. Oh, oh, it's it's you know, it's 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 the change in the market. It's the consumers and and all these managers and salespeople, they're they're all pointing at their finger externally at everything else, at every other factor that could impact their business, except looking within. And now my feeling, it's just starting this concept of being mindful, bringing this level of mindfulness in companies is also stimulating this level of self-awareness of what role am I playing in this as as a sales leader, as a manager, as a salesperson? What can I do personally to evolve and change to be the best that I can be? All right. But there's there are countervailing pressures that exist, which is that as more technology comes into the sales space, is we see already that some managers feel overwhelmed by sort of the the metrics, you know, the data is keeping track of of the process and the activity levels and and I was at a conference just less than a year ago where fairly senior sales leaders were talking about yeah, you know, doing the day of doing one-on-ones and so on. That's that's all done. And I was like, that's seriously? I mean, we're getting pushback on that because they think that they can just look at their the reports and that's all they need to know. Yeah, that that there's one word for that. 
It's called sad. <laughs> it's not sustainable, I don't think. Well, let, let's 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 play that out for a minute. So, the managers today, they're because of this. <clears throat> They're they're being inundated with technology, and because of the technology, we have so much more visibility into our salespeople and their activity. And I probably get called at least once a week from some type of new CRM coaching application where they want me to look at or partner mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. And there's a gap in most of them because what they are are just glorified CRM systems. Right. Uh, My point of bringing this up is with all the data that managers have at their fingertips, the costly assumption is, well, to your point, as you heard at this conference, well, I don't need to go out and observe. I don't need to, you know, spend one-on-one time coaching my people. I have all this inside of all this transparency, I could just pull up their dashboard and see everything they're doing. Well, there's a problem. You see, managers actually, and it might sound counterintuitive today, but even more so, they need to be more people managers than data managers. They need to shift away from being a spreadsheet jockey to truly being a people manager. That is in of itself what companies are realizing is becoming their new competitive edge today. Because if I'm a if I'm a manager and I have a team of salespeople, and I'll just use this very simple example, I have two salespeople on my team. One is an A player, one is a C player. They're an underperformer. And I'm trying to figure out why is my A player an A player and my C player a C player? So I inevitably go into my CRM or I go to a dashboard or I pull up a report and I look at what my A player is doing and I look at what my C player is doing. And I'm shocked that I'm as I'm looking at this data, wait a second, my C player is engaging in the same level of activity as my A player. Then why is my A player an A player and my C player a C player? Mm-hmm. And therein lies the problem with being a data manager. You see, data only tells you what's going on and it tells you what the results are. Data doesn't tell you why. Data doesn't give you the gaps. So there is a reason why in every professional sport, the coaches on the sidelines observing their players play, whether it's in a game or during practice, because athletes can't self-diagnose when they're in the middle of the game. And moreover, people cannot change what they do not see. So if I, as a manager, am not taking the time to coach my people consistently one-on-one and combine that with the data, which is important, mm-hmm. and combine that with observation, that's a three-legged stool. If one of the legs are missing, the stool will fall. So if I really want to know what my people are doing, I can't look at a spreadsheet. I need to observe them. I need to do desk side observation. I need to observe their emails and their written communication. I need to do... Um, just desk side observation as well as joint sales calls, listen in on calls over the phone, um, observe them during a meeting, whether it's a team meeting or working with a client or a prospect. Because, And I'll say this as pointedly as I can, if you, global you as a manager, are not observing your people in some way, shape or form, you have no clue what they're doing. Because again, data tells you what, observation tells you how they do it, 
and why they're doing it that way. And that's what makes the difference between an A player and a C player. A players may do similar things that C players do. They just do it differently. And that's what makes them champions. Well, and there's an extension of what you talked about, which is that we have the sort of the same conundrum taking place in the sales world itself, though, you know, not just between managers and, and individuals, but moving beyond the metrics and the process and making sales more personal. Because we seem to have gone through this trend in many respects where since we can automate so much of our outreach that, and some companies are relying on that in terms of their lead gen, is that they they haven't mastered how to sell to another person. We have a, a very um, easy way to get out of doing that when we can hide behind technology. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I don't, I am not pointing at any generation or generational gap, but uh, it's not a secret that the younger generations are a lot more uh, tuned into leveraging social media for marketing and prospecting than the older generations. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think it's getting in the way of, to your point, that interpersonal communication. Uh, you know, I'm always very hesitant when I'm on LinkedIn to accept someone's, uh, you know, uh, invitation because uh, I've been down the road so many times. I even coach around this is that, listen, if 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 you're looking to use LinkedIn, which I still believe is an amazing tool as a marketing tool, don't send out an invitation and then within 24 hours, <laughs> send an, an email asking them if they want to have a meeting. That person is just going to remove you from their network because that's what I do. Yeah. So it's it's really understanding what does it mean to nurture a relationship? It's it's not just, you know, expecting, oh, I'm going to connect with this person. And, I mean, I can almost smell it. I could pull up uh, a profile right away and probably within a minute's time, pretty much assess whether or not this person is going to be leveraging me within 24 hours as a prospect or not. Oh, you can tell just by their connection request. Yep. Well, I mean, I think that that's that. The, I think there's a continuum there, which is what we're experiencing is that as we've seen, some managers just become so, in some cases, they claim they have no choice, but you know, so involved with the data that they forget sort of the human side of the coaching. And I think that thing just keeps sort of, that's behavior that's modeled down into the salespeople. And we see it, again, with why we have such low close rates in B2B sales is we think that automation could do more than it really can. And it's still a matter of people buying from people. And you're not going to, you know, listen, I always say it, it depends, depends on what you're buying, right? Uh, <laughs> if you're going to the drugstore, it doesn't really matter what you're buying. If you're buying something of, of, of substance, you're probably going to want to like the person you're buying it from. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's, that's been proven and continue to be proven. Uh, over and over and over again. So, oh, yes. um, a couple of questions about your your latest book, uh, "Own Your Day," which I really like because it 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 um, well, I mean, it's it's a great topic. It's about you know owning your day and setting your priorities and knowing what are the most important. But one of the, the chapters I really like that that I wanted to talk about was uh, just briefly in the time we've left is is you talk about getting away, doing away with to do lists. And I'd had, uh, I don't know, do you familiar with Kevin Cruz? He had written a book on time management, which had a very similar recommendation that I really 
really enjoyed. So tell me why, why you recommend this. I, that, that seems to strike a chord with a lot of people. Yeah, no, it's, it's very compelling. People like their to-do list. They fall in love with their to-do list. We love to check stuff off too. Yeah. So I, my thinking around this is that the to-do lists actually create a lot more challenges for us than we realize. If you have a separate to-do list, which by the way, many people do, because I ask this question all the time when I'm working with, doesn't matter what audience, uh, most people will have some to-do list. And I would ask them, so at the end of the day, do you have your everything on your to-do list checked off? And they would say, no. And I would ask them, well, what get in the way? And they will say, you know how it is, Keith, there's so many other things that, that happen throughout a day, it's hard it's hard to get everything done. And I would agree with that. So I'd ask them, are there things on your to-do list that are scheduled to be done in a week, you know, two weeks and three weeks? And people would inevitably say, yes. I said, okay, great. So what if you could eliminate your to-do list? And that's what I would ask people. And they would say, well, Keith, no, I can't. I, this is, these are all the things I need to do. I'd say, wait a second, time out. I want you to look at your to-do list. Is there anything in your to-do list that you are doing at some level of consistency? Now, some level of consistency could be anything from a year to twice a year to once a quarter to once a month to every other week, a week, a day. It doesn't matter. Any level of consistency. If the person says yes, I say, okay, I just want you to put a little mark next to that. And they would go through this exercise and I would ask them when they finish that, how many things are left on your to-do list? And out of maybe say 20 things or 25 things, out of after doing that one exercise, they would say, Keith, I either have nothing on my list anymore or I have maybe two or three things. And I would ask them what those two or three, two or three things are. And they would tell me things like, oh, well, you know what? Um, my tires, um, my tires are going. I know I need to change them. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, you know what? Um, the car, the car, uh, the, the car light in my other car, it blew. I need to change that. Okay, great. Well, what else? Oh, um, you know what? Um, the hose in my backyard, the, um, it, it's, it's leaking. I need to get a different hose. Okay. A- anything else? No, that's about it. Well, what have you noticed there? You see, a to-do list is actually meant to be a list of things that has no level of consistency around. I don't know when I'm going to the doctor unless I'm going for a checkup. In other words, I don't know when I'm going to be sick. Yeah, you're I, don't doing it every day. I don't know when my tire is going to blow. I don't know when the light in my car or in my house is going to go. But if on my to-do list I have things like, follow up with a certain prospect or client, make prospecting calls, um, schedule five appointments this week, uh, clean out your pipeline, okay? Organize your files, um, input the data in your CRM, go to the gym, spend time with your family, call your parents or you know spouse or significant other. Those things are consistent. So what, what I'm really talking about here is migrating your to-do list into your calendar. 
because when you do that, you eliminate the overwhelm of a separate list. And now you're being realistic because the things on your to-do list that did not have a deadline now do because you've scheduled it. Because inevitably, if you have something on your to-do list, it has to get done at a certain point of time. Well, if it's not on your calendar, then when are you doing it? Yeah, no, it's. A, I mean, I, I love that approach. That's one of the reasons I wanted to talk with them and just to remind people because I think it's a great construct for them to think about in terms of managing time. Is you got these recurring tasks that are in your calendar at a consistent time. This becomes routine, right? These things that that you're doing on a daily, ongoing basis because they're generating long term value for you or your business. And then, as you said, you got the other things that that come up that you can't predict. Then you know how to fit them into your schedule. Mm-hmm. And they're not taking priority over the things that have sh- that you really should, the building blocks that you should be doing each and every day. And, and, and that's when your to-do list comes down to maybe two or three things rather than 20 or 30 things because you've actually now scheduled them in your calendar and you've built some personal accountability to get them done at a time that you said you would. Well, and on top of that too, what you end up doing is you end up just doing fewer things, right? Many things that at least I found, because I've taken a, approach like that over the last year. I said that uh, Kevin Cruz had on the show, talked about a very similar philosophy. And yeah, you, you you stop doing things that that aren't really getting you to the goal. That normally you might say, okay, well, I'll put them on my list and do. And then you feel sort of comfortable that you got a bunch of things taken off your to-do list, but those sort of consistent baseline things that you needed to be doing, you weren't. And you're not really getting anywhere. You know, to, I, I always say a to-do list um, without a deadline is a diversionary tactic because then you're never accountable for getting it done. I like that. That's a good, good expression. I like that. All right. So, Keith, in this last segment of the show, I just have some few questions, standard questions I ask all my guests. And uh, these are rapid-fire questions. You can give me one-word answers or you can elaborate if you wish. So the first one is when you, Keith Rosen, are out selling your products and services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Authenticity. I think you may have answered this next one, but I'll ask anyway. Who's your sales role model? Uh, It would be Zig Ziglar, only because I find him to be the most authentic, kind, ethical, moral person on this planet. Um, He truly is a model of what other people aspire to be. And I'm not just talking salespeople, I'm talking about human beings. Um, He always put his family first. He he always put um, his faith first. Um, He put people first. And that's that's what made him extraordinary. Uh, Yeah, I could talk about him all day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So other than any of your own books, what book would you recommend every salesperson read? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, it's an occupational hazard if you ask authors what other books they read, right? It's mm. sort of like, uh, you know, the, the 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 shoemaker that has no shoes. Right. Uh, it. it I, I. If I could circle back to, you know, what I believe you said, what makes what makes me stand out, and I said authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that level of authenticity also needs, you know, we could almost create a success formula here, you know, authentic, authenticity plus being a subject matter expert, plus truly wanting to give value and being selfless is, is the anatomy of what makes a great salesperson. 
you know, constantly wanting to be on a path of lifelong learning, um, to be a great collaborator, collaborator, to to want to help not only your clients but your team win as well. Um, and I'm totally sidetracking your question. Yeah, so, I was going to say, does anybody uh, anybody reduce that into a book that you know of? <laughs> Other than my book, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to put a pin on that one and come back to it. <laughs> okay. Well, the default is if guests can't answer, we put one of my books in there. So, um, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> All right, last question for you: What music is on your playlist? Oh my! Did you touch on a hot spot? Uh, did you know I'm a music junkie? No. Oh, my. Uh, how much time do we have left? We could talk uh, about this one all day. <laughs> about two Put minutes. It this way. I saw 40 concerts this summer, Andy. 40? 40. 4 zero. Holy cow. So what did you see that was top of the list? Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> where can we? Where, well, I'm looking around the room because I went backstage for a bunch of them. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, Everclear, Collective Soul. Wait, Ever, uh, Everclear's for, playing again? They, yeah, they're playing again. I met Art Alexicus uh, about three <sighs> times over the last year. I love I love their early stuff. Yeah, they're they're amazing. Um, uh, let's see. I'm just again. Well, I, I, saw, I saw I saw Springsteen this summer too over at the, the Meadowlands. Incredible, right? I mean, yeah. got to give the guy credit. Who no nobody plays that long. It doesn't matter what age you are. Exactly. Uh, Talk about so I, and I. What's that? Talk about commitment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he goes nonstop for, I mean, what was it, four hours he yeah, played? Yeah. Broke a record. Uh, and I go anywhere from the Grateful Dead to my son's favorite band, Green Day. Hello. Uh, of course, I had to take him to see Green Day at uh, uh, Webster Hall and at uh, House of Blues over the last few months. But it wasn't for me, of course. No, Andy. It was no, all no, for my no. son. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, th- that, that's on my music set list. I wow. could probably keep going. Uh, yeah, then well, of course the f- you got everything classic rock. Um, you know, I like, uh, everything from a uh, fish to, uh, 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 let's see, uh, uh, what haven't I named yet? Well, we'll, um, have, to, we'll have to do a separate, a separate, uh, episode. We'll just do it for music for yeah, sales, we'll, music we'll do, for salespeople, music for salespeople and sales leaders. That's the next topic of our, all right, we'll do it. I guess. 40 concerts. Holy cow. I haven't, don't think I've been in 40 concerts my entire life. Yeah. My <laughs> wife said, my wife said if she sees one more bill on, on the Amex for concert tickets, she, she's going to have to pull me aside for, for a special conversation. Well, I was going to say, you, we talked before we came on the air about how you can afford to send your kids to college. There you go, right there. <laughs> so I know where you're going to find that money. All right. Keith, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Tell folks how they can find out more about you and connect with you. Absolutely. So uh, if anyone out there is looking for more help in any way that I can, whether it's growing as a human being, a leader or a salesperson, uh, you can reach me at Keith Rosen at ProfitBuilders.com. You can also reach me at a website, which is www.keithrosen.com is probably the best website to find my information, eBooks and other resources. And keep an eye out for our new website, which is going to be launched fairly soon, Coach Quest, which is also the topic of my next book. Uh, and that's C-O-A-C-H-Q-U-E-S-T dot com. Excellent. Gosh, sounds like a, an old movie. All right. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Keith, thanks for joining me. And friends, thank you for spending your time with us. Remember, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is make sure you join my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Keith Rosen, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks again for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. 
If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.